Thursday, April 29th, 2010. It's Gil Alexander, your betting dork. My pleasure to have on the show today for our big Kentucky Derby preview, the 136th run for the Roses, and no man knows horses better than this one. Marco D'Angelo, what's happening, Marco? Hey, Gil, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, they call the Kentucky Derby the greatest two minutes in sports, and for a guy that just uh, come off his wedding night, I thought that was the greatest two minutes in sports. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have you didn't let me have my rim shot ready to go. <laughs> Wait, so before we talk about the Derby, then for a second, since you brought it up, Marco, let me ask you this, and this is the only answer, and this is the only question I, I need answered. When you were exchanging vows, tell the truth. Did you have a pending wager at that moment? Uh, I did have a, a wager going on an NBA game that <laughs> night. Yes, outstanding. <laughs> but we, we did we didn't find out the score until much later in the uh, Because I I had this image, and I think others had this image of you having a sort of transistor radio earpiece phone going up your shirt. And you, you know, do you, Marco D'Angelo, take this woman? And you go and go to the bullpen, you know, something. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I am a seasoned veteran in, in betting that I, I can wager on a game and not actually have to be watching it and listening to it. Okay, that's what I would have expected. Nonetheless, I think that was amusing for all who thought <laughs> that that might be the case. So, Derby this weekend, it's Saturday, of course, the first leg of the Triple Crown. Um, Escandrea, the pre-race favorite, out with uh, left leg swelling this week. Um, Also, another horse endorsement out with an ankle injury. And in the end, what you have is the, uh, and we'll we'll, we'll get into your general thoughts about the Derby in a moment, because um, I know you want to go and, and talk about some horses that you've got some some thoughts on without, of course, revealing what your picks are. But in general, what we have in this derby is the two big favorites are bookends. Uh, on the one hand, on the rail, you've got looking at Lucky, who's at 3-1, to one, who, you know, no horse has won the derby since 1986 off the rail in, a, in the 20th position. Sydney's Candy at 5-1, to one, no horse has even placed from there since 1988. Do you subscribe to the theory that there is an ideal post position, first of all, in the Derby, and then is there any value in these two horses, I guess is the first question. Well, let's go with the question at hand. Uh, The problem with uh, being at the rail is you've got to look at what type of horse it is, too. And looking at Lucky is a horse that does not have a ton of gate speed. He's a horse that sits off the pace. That's going to present horrible problems for this horse in a 20-horse field down at the rail. What ends up happening is that cavalry charge out of the gate. You end up getting pinched off, and sometimes these horses never get to see a clear path throughout the race to really get going. And ironically enough, looking at Lucky is the pre-race favorite, and Everybody is looking back to the Santa Anita Derby. Um, This horse just had a ton of road problems. Literally uh, had to be jerked uh, coming halfway through the last turn uh, when a horse pinched him off and, you know, had his momentum completely stopped, got started again, and rallied to be third. And many believe that had he not been interfered with, that he would have been able 
to win that race in the uh, Santa Anita Derby. Um, I beg to differ a little bit. I think that day Sidney's uh, candy was just uh, too much horse. He, he got a you know away on the front end uh, with you know uncontested fractions and just pulled away from the field. Uh, but he definitely. Uh, would have been second looking at Lucky without the interference and would have made the race a lot closer, but I think the outcome would still have been Sidney Scandy. So big problems for the number one horse this week with that post position. Now on the flip side with Sidney's Candy, yes, it is tough to win from the outside because you end up getting carried uh, so wide in that first turn if you're trying to get to the lead. But Sidney's Candy is a horse that has shown tremendous gate speed uh, in each of his um, last three starts and four of his last five starts out of the gate into the first call uh, where they chart the horses on their racing form Sydney's candy was out of the gate and on the lead um, Sydney's candy does not have to necessarily go right to the front but if he can jump off that gate quickly and maneuvers way, you know, to the two or three path when they hit that turn and be sitting third or fourth would still be a great position for Sydney's candy because there will be a lot of early speed in this race. And that's something we'll talk about, you know, when we get into the strategy of the race. Okay. Um, and I probably should have led with this, but you are, I can already sense the passion as you, as you talk about the Derby. You actually have a bit of a uh, personal history with horses too, right? You're not just a, you're not just a casual better. You also, uh... Like the commercial says, you know, uh, you know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Well, <laughs> not only do I bet horses, I actually own horses. And, uh, actually my horses that I own, and it was just given from where, um, I grew up at, uh, in Pittsburgh, we didn't have a thoroughbred track in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we did have uh, a harness track, uh, and uh, anybody that, uh, you know, from the, the Philly area or New York area, you would know, uh, you know, Yonkers and uh, Freehold and uh, mm -hmm. the Meadowlands. They have uh, harness racing, and that's where you see the horses with the little sulkies behind them, and those are the horses that I own, but um, horse racing is the same. Uh, you know, it's about breeding. Certain horses are bred for certain distances, and it's all about training and preparation. And, you know, I, I love thoroughbred racing. I, I actually would have bought thoroughbred horses uh, had we had a track, uh, you know, closer to me. Um, but uh, harness racing was what I had in, in my backyard, so that's what I got into. And uh, I also breed horses. I've been doing it since 1986. So um, a lot of money invested in the horse industry, that's for sure, both uh, at the betting windows and uh, <laughs> or paying uh, the feed bills. Well, that's very cool. You know, for those of us who are not, you know, huge horse bettors and, and need to learn, you know, strategies of betting, and, and just even before that, those of us who bet on baseball and football and their standard sports, when we hear a Hank Goldberg or an Andrew Beyer or whoever is big on horse racing talk about horses uh, in a certain way. It always is amusing to those of us because they'll say things like, oh, this is a confident horse or this is a horse that likes running on a mud track. And we hear things like that. And, and the reaction to the layman like myself is sort of like, really, did you interview the horse? Like, how is there really some some basis to that as a seasoned horse observer like yourself? Well, you know what, Gil, uh, handicapping is all about stats, reading form, current form, and um, you're a big baseball guy, and I make a reference to baseball pitchers 
in horses all the time um, because pitchers throughout the course of a season come in and out of form. I mean, nobody goes out there and, and throws their 30 games, uh, you know, the same all year long. They don't have brilliant stuff every outing. Uh, you know, their fastball may not be there. Their sinker may not sink. Uh, they go through periods of the year. Uh, they get a tired arm, whatever. But they do have those points of the season when they're dead on in three, four, five starts where you're, you're just looking at their, their lines and, you know, the hits, the walks, the strikeouts, it's all there. That pitcher is in great, great current form. You have the same thing in horse racing. Horses will come in and out of form, and you need to be able to handicap, uh, you know, be able to read the racing form, be able to understand um, workouts leading up to a race. Um, workouts are great. In um, you know, back in the you know the dark ages of, of horse racing, you know, people used to bring the horses out to you know do their morning workouts at the crack of dawn. You know, you'd still have the fog on the track, and nobody knew who was out there and going at uh, you know that big workout, and things were hidden, and only the barns knew stuff. But you know, now just like in sports betting. With the age of the internet and online sports books, when a line moves one place, everybody knows about it in, in a matter of minutes. Um, workouts are now charted. It's a big thing. They actually have official clockers at the tracks, and they know what horse is out there and what workout they're going so that the betting public has all the information that they possibly can have to make, you know, a, you know, an intelligent decision decision on their wagering, and uh, workouts are the best current form indicator. And there are some horses that had some really sharp workouts this week at Churchill, and are leading up to the Kentucky Derby in peak condition. And that's all you can ask for in handicapping. Like Knowledge it. is power. It doesn't matter what you're doing, business, sports, betting, uh, baseball, basketball, or horse racing. The more knowledge you have, the better you are. I like it. All right. With that in mind, then what is it about the Derby and the Triple Crown races uh, that you love so much and the strategy involved for you moving forward come this Saturday? Well, first of all, the Kentucky Derby, and, uh, and I'll just give a quick plug to a podcast that uh, myself and Vegas Runners are going to be doing later today. We're going to talk, be talking about the value of betting big sporting events. And, you know, big sporting events, you know, when you say that, most people automatically, the first thing comes to your mind would be the Super Bowl and, you know, events like that. But the Kentucky Derby is a big sporting event. You know, it's, you know, tabbed, as we said, you know, the greatest two minutes in sports. Everybody gets excited about the Derby. It's a party. You know, there's, you know, here in Vegas, there's several casinos are having monster Kentucky Derby parties. Uh, you know, people come in and will be betting that never bet horses. And that's a great thing because unlike sports betting, when the public jumps on a game, it affects the point spread. The line might go from plus seven to plus seven and a half because everybody's betting the favorite. You know, they, they might be betting Brett Favre or betting Peyton Manning because they've seen him in commercials. And as a better, we get value going against those marquee teams when more people are involved in betting because people that don't know anything are going to bet what they've seen 
and those guys have been seen everywhere on the TV, radio, whatever. So that's where their money goes, and we get the value betting against them. In horse racing, not only do we get value when we get the novice betting, but it gives us what we like to term an overlay in the betting pool because their money's dead money, but it inflates the betting pool. And you can have in the Kentucky Derby, the best way to indicate this is this was a normal given day, a, a regular run-of-the-mill overnight race, and you had the favorite run first and second in an exacta. That exacta might return 12 or $15 because it was the two favorites. But because there's so much money in the betting pool on the Derby, and it's inflated, those same two horses, the two favorites, might bring back an exacta of like $35 instead of 12 or 15 because of the inflated money in the betting pools. And that is great, great value for a sports better that's sharp. Uh, and you'll get an even bigger inflated pool when you get to the, the big exotics, the trifectas and the superfectas. We've had in recent years $23,000 superfectas, you know, in, in the big races because of the inflated pools. And sharp bettors or betting syndicates will invest more money on those days because they're going to get a bigger return for their money and they'll take their shots. And I'll be one of them on Saturday. You know, I'll, you know, I'll bet probably two to three times what I would normally bet on a given horse race just because of the added value. Well, I want to get back to, since we have some, some folks who are you know not big horse racing bettors, and I'll include myself among them, I'm going to get back to what you might recommend for the more novice better in terms of a betting strategy, in terms of do they just bet one horse, do they bet an exacta, do they box? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but before all that, Let's dive into it. Let's talk, you know, in general terms about some of the horses that you find interesting in this derby. Well, we're going to start with the favorite because he's getting all of the attention, and that's looking at Lucky. And he should be getting all the attention. Um, This is a horse that has eight lifetime starts. He's got six wins, a second, and a third. He's eight for eight for hitting the board and hitting the board for the novice means finishing first, second, or third. He's made $1.5 million already in eight starts. Uh, he's definitely the, you know, the horse to beat on paper. And everybody is looking at this horse and saw uh, the Santa Anita Derby where the horse had all kinds of traffic problems and really was taken out of that race. And many believe that if he did not get interfered with in the Santa Anita Derby, that he would have won that race, and then you'd be looking at a horse that won seven of eight lifetime starts. He's got a colorful trainer, Bob Baffert. You know, anybody that's watched any horse race knows, you know, the silver-haired guy with the sunglasses. That, you know, that's Bob Baffert. Uh, he's seen all the time. He's won the Derby three times already as a trainer and was second in, in, in another. So he knows how to win the big race. Um, he's got Garrett Gomez uh, as his jockey, um, you know, one of the top riders in the country. So everything is, you know, looking good for looking at Lucky, except drawing that rail. Uh, because this horse doesn't have that gate speed, uh, I see him in the middle of the pack, and he's going to have some distinct traffic problems to maneuver through. And so many times, 
when you get down to a, a horse race, and especially one like the Kentucky Derby that has 20 horses in it, no other horse race has 20 entries in it. You know, the Derby is capped at 20. There was actually two other horses uh, that really wanted to be in the Derby, um, but they cap it at 20, and the tiebreaker uh, goes to stakes earnings, money that you've made, and the other two horses just didn't have enough money to, you know, to get in the top 20. So uh, you're going to have a ton of road traffic, and the horses that win these races sometimes is the horse that just had the cleanest trip, absolutely had no, you know, never had to check, and that's another term that uh, your uh, listeners probably say, what the heck is he talking about? It's something <laughs> that you might hear, um, you know, somebody say on the telecast, but when a horse is checked, that means picture yourself driving on the freeway, and all of a sudden a car shifts lanes on you, and you've got to tap the brakes real quick to stop. Uh, you know, you don't come to a complete stop, but you stopped your momentum because somebody cut you off. That's what happens in a horse race. And whenever a jockey uh, gets, you know, road trouble like that, and if it happens quickly, he's got to take up on the horse, and by doing that, he's grabbing the reins. And that's called checking the horse. And sometimes if you check too hard, if it's an abrupt you know, grab of the lines, you can actually choke the horse. And choking the horse, we're not literally putting our arms around his neck and choking him, but you pull the reins so hard that the horse's chin comes down into his chest real quick, and for that momentary second, you cut off the air supply to his lung. It's almost, Jeez. we've all done it. You've been talking, and you, like, you flip your you flip your palate and you lose air for a second, and you, you almost think like, oh, you're going to die for a quick second. But think about a racehorse that's going about 35 miles an hour and have his air cut off for a split second. It can affect your race. So what, in, you're, uh, what you're saying then, generally, Marco, is that when they drew the post position, the, 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 the rail position, I should say, the number one post position on looking at Lucky, that was like a huge stomach punch to that ownership group and that trainer. Absolutely. And, uh it's not where they would have wanted to be. Ideally, the best post positions, uh, in my opinion, in Derby is somewhere between post position 7 and 11. You're in the middle of the field. If you're uh, a horse that has gate speed, you're in the middle. You can dart out and get to the rail quickly. If you're a horse that has a little bit of early speed, but you like to set off the pace, then you can you know, leisurely break off the gate, Find where you want to be, settle in, you know, fourth, fifth, or sixth, and, you know, wait to make your move later. Um, if looking at Lucky was a, a stone-cold closer, and that's a, a term you'll hear horse people use, a closer is just that. They come from behind. They're not involved in a race early in the mile. You'll see them start to make their move in the second half of the race, and during that final quarter mile, they're really picking up the horses, and they have that one big burst of speed, and they use it at the end of the race. Um, it, looking at Lucky is not that type of horse. He needs to be close to the to the pace, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for him to get there from the rail. Now, that said, if uh, Gomez is able to maneuver him out. And a lot of people question if they would go back to Gomez after the ride he gave him in the Santa Anita Derby because it was Gomez that made the decision to go inside. He could have stayed outside with the horse in the Santa Anita Derby, and he would have had a clean path 
um, for the race, but he thought he was saving ground by going to the inside, and then when there was two horses to the outside of him, and when they were going through that turn, the one horse drifted inside and pinched him off at the rail, and it was like you had a 1,000-pound uh, horse to your right, and you had the hub rail to your uh, left, and that's not a good position to be for a horse, and uh, Gomez had to take up on him real abruptly, and it, it cost him the Santa Anita Derby. Not to knock you off the uh, horse by uh, horse, or, or the horses that, that leap to mind for you in this derby, but you bring up jockeys. How much of your capping in any horse race, and, and specifically in a triple crown race, uh, Marco, does come down to, you know, oh, Calvin Burrell's on Super Saver or Kent DeSormo's on Patio Prado. Like, how much is the jockey mattering for you? The jockey matters a lot, and in the situation, um, until, let me put it to you this way, the first time uh, a jockey ever got up and sat on a horse, his dream was to win the Kentucky Derby. You know, uh, a football player, you know, win the Super Bowl. You know, basketball player, you want to, you know, game seven, you want to sink the winning shot. This is your sport. This is your Super Bowl. This is the race you want to win. Everybody wants that. If you've got a horse, and there's several horses that, you know, I think have serious possibilities in this derby. We'll talk about a couple of them. But, you know, one of the knocks that goes into my negative column in the handicapping is their jockey has not done it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, until a jockey's actually won the derby, you know, it, it is a negative because you, you've got to go out and do it. Now, we've had some people in recent years that have, you know, won with their first derby mount, and, you know, kudos to them, but that's a tough task to do. Um, so experience in the derby is a huge advantage as far as uh, jockeys go. You know, will the jockey win the race on his own? No. You know, you could put the best jockey in the world, you know, on a mule, it's still a mule, okay? <laughs> you got to have the horse underneath you. But what a jockey can do is take a great horse, give him a bad ride, and get him beat. Okay, so besides looking at Lucky, let's hear a couple that have caught your attention. Well, the, the other, uh, the bookend horse, and we'll talk about him real quick because uh, these two have been talked to death, but Sydney's Candy is a horse. Uh, that Israel, he's coming in with a, you know, uh, a jockey that's gotten a lot of attention the last two years, Joe Talamo. Um, you know, this is a horse that was bred by the uh, diet queen, Jenny Craig, and her late husband. Um, the horse is in peak condition, coming off three straight wins. Um, had some good workouts this week at Churchill. Uh, and when we talk about workouts, um, I said these are all public record you know, you can get to them. Horses will go four, five, six furlongs. And when you're looking for the novice, you want to have a barometer. Twelve seconds a furlong is, the you know, the measuring stick. When you go four furlongs in 48 seconds, you're right on the money. The horse is sharp, the horse is fit, the horse is tight. When you turn in a four furlong in 47 and change, then your razor sharp, and you know the horse is entering the race in good condition. Now, I will preface that by saying, not all trainers have the same training tactics. Some trainers don't believe in training razor sharp because they feel they leave some of the uh, of their race out on the training track, and they don't 
pay any money for uh, training efforts, and they won't go that fast. But um, there are several trainers that, you know, they want to know their horse is fit and sound. And unfortunately, the one horse that you said uh, that was scratched uh, late this week endorsement had a brilliant training uh, session um, the other day. And unfortunately, in that training session, uh, took a bad step at some point and ended up having a fracture in its ankle and is now out of the derby. So there is something to stay by, by you know, maybe going too much in training trips. As, as, I, as I think of these questions, I want to, because you touch on some stuff, so sure. it just sort of it comes to mind. Um, is there a, you know, we talked about jockeys and you touched on different training methods from the trainers here. Is there a jockey or trainer who is sort of like, you know, the, the Washington Capitals flame out last night is fresh in our minds. Is there a sort of Washington Capitals franchise uh, in one of these trainers and jockeys in terms of their inability to win the big race that, that are involved on Saturday? Um, there have been some big-name trainers that, you know, have had success in everything except win the big uh, derby. Uh, but uh, the guys that we have in here, they've all been in the derby and got a win, or this is, you know, their first real contender. Um, so we don't have one of those. And uh, I was just double-checking one of the guys that uh, – uh, his name slips my mind, and I, I would have recognized it right away. But he's notorious for that. He's like the Dan Marino, uh, you know, of horse racing. He's won everything that you possibly can win in horse racing, except the uh, you know the Kentucky Derby. But he does not have a, a horse in the twenty horse field, so we're okay. Well, I apologize. I sprung, I sprung that question on you, but it just leaped to mind. So that's uh, yeah, that would have been interesting um, from that angle to see if there was someone who just couldn't uh, get it done. But continue, sir. All right. The uh, Sydney's Candy, as we said, great current form. Uh, Going to have some problems with the 20 post position, but the fact that he does have good gate speed uh, makes it uh, a situation that I think he can negate the post position, and he will be a contender. The question will be how much he will have left um, for uh, the final eighth after being extended so much early on to get there to the lead out of the 20 post position. Uh, another horse that uh, I really like the way the horse is coming into the race, um, and that's the number two horse, uh, Icebox. Uh, this is a horse, trainer Nick Zito, he knows how to get long shots to the, to the winner's circle in big races. He's won the Derby before. Um, he's got a horse here that his style is come from behind. He's what we term as a closer. He had a great um, race in his last outing in the Florida Derby, come from dead last to get up and win by a nose, a furious stretch battle. It was actually like a three-horse battle to the wire. Um, Nick Zito, great at prepping a horse, knows how to get them ready. Horse is sharp right now, went four furlongs on uh, April 16th and 48 and two-fifths, and then came back. Uh, this week on April 23rd, four furlongs in the slop. It's been raining all week at Churchill. The track's been wet. He turned in a four furlong workout in 46 and two. That is just blistering. And the question may be, was you know the only knock is 
was it too much? Did he take a little bit too much out of the horse uh, in that fast workout oh, just days away from, from the derby? But I like the way this horse is coming in, and his style of being a closer is going to set him up uh, in this race because there is a lot of early speed. And when we talk about early speed, a horse race, you know, it's a set distance. Um, you want to have a race that has an honest pace so that horses that race from behind have a chance because if the first half of the race goes too slow, it doesn't matter how fast a horse is if they're a closer they can only make up so much ground so you need that front end to come back to you a little bit and um, with the horses in this year's Kentucky Derby there are five horses that really like the lead we could get a hotly contested um, speed duel on the front end which would set it up greatly for closers and come from behind horses horses that like to race in that second flight we call them stalkers uh they're they're running in the fifth sixth seventh positions just off that first group of horses close enough to be in the hunt but not far enough that they have to come from out of left field to get there so i think the horse that wins the derby is going to be one of those type of horses i don't think front end speed will carry in the derby on saturday especially if it is a wet track which you know it's rained all week in louisville uh, uh that's one of the things that i'll be checking uh in my final handicapping is what exactly the weather report will be on saturday gil okay so you you just to clarify then you do not think it's going to be a front end horse that's going to do it yeah uh the closers in a large field generally have more problems because of the 20 horse field but if it is a you know fast pace you know and i mean you know abnormally fast which on paper this is shaping up to be that kind of derby that would negate the 20 horse field and help the stone cold closers but generally speaking if you want to take it just from a history standpoint more kentucky derby winners come from the stocking group where they're in that second flight of horses uh you know running you know fourth fifth sixth um you know for most of the mile and make make their move as they go into that last turn okay um, I won't ask you about specific horses because I know when it, when is your release on your pick, Marco? I will finalize my my selections Friday night once I I have the final update on uh, the weather reports for Saturday because you know you alluded to it about you know horses that like to you know run on a wet track and those are affectionately called mudders and uh, horses that you know have shown that they can do it in the mud have a huge advantage and the reason for that is a lot of these horses only have four five six lifetime starts they're three-year-olds they're very lightly raced and unless it was a big stakes race if they entered the horse in a, in a regular allowance race and the track was bad more than likely the uh, owner or trainer would scratch the horse not to have that horse race on you know what could be a track that could cause the horse an injury i mean they've got a lot of money invested in these horses and they're looking at the bigger picture so they avoid those bad weather uh race conditions if they can uh but when you're in the derby you know you're you're racing for you know triple crown history a ton of money two million dollar purse you're going to run no matter what the track condition is so until a horse has actually had 
the experience of racing on a muddy track, you don't know how they're going to react. Some of them like it, some of them don't. Um, you know, there's different kinds of muddy tracks. There's, you know, the sticky track where it's, uh, you know, it's deep and it's almost like, you know, when they're pulling their feet out, you know, it's almost like a, a mini suction cup filling, you know, because the, the mud just, you know, seals in their in their hoofs as they, you know, go down and pull them up. Um, and then you've got the, the bigger issue, horses that race from behind, they're getting mud thrown in their face. You know, a lot of horses don't react well to be getting hit in the face with the mud. They're not used to it. So those are all intangibles. These are not machines. They're animals. Um, you know, until they experience something, you don't know how they're going to react to it. But a horse that's already raced on a muddy track, that's a huge advantage, especially if you've seen they've done well on it. I don't want to pry too much, Marco, but since I have you here, you can feel free to just tell me no comment then based on the context of your of your picks yet to emerge at the time of this podcast. But I do want to ask uh, a question or two about a couple horses, if you will indulge sure. me. Um, I'm a baseball guy. I know Joe Torrey is part owner of Homeboy Chris, who's a huge long shot. Any chance, in your opinion, for this horse? This horse has no shot of winning the Derby. There it is. None. <laughs> That's a, that's that's a quality bit of information. <laughs> Brutally honest, yes. Okay, let me ask you about Devil May Care. Were this a male horse, wouldn't the odds be much higher? Um, actually, you mean much lower. Much lower, I mean, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, Devil May Care is a very intriguing horse, and and actually would have been the next horse that I was going to you know talk about. So it's great that you bring this horse up. He's trained by a very good trainer, Todd Pletcher. Todd Pletcher really has high hopes for this horse. He could have put this horse in to race on Friday and race in the Kentucky Oaks, which would have been a much easier race for this horse. Yet he's decided to race in the Derby. Uh, he's raced in the Derby before. It's not like this is his only shot to get to the Derby. Uh, he thinks this horse has a legitimate shot. The horse is very lightly raced, only five starts. So what I mean by that is the horse is still green, and green is a term that uh, in sports would call a rookie, okay? Still learning the game, you know, the little, you know, delicacies of, uh, of things that will happen on the racetrack and how they'll react. But with that said, a horse that's only got four or five starts still is nowhere near reaching its peak and can make the biggest jump, you know, from their last race to this race. Because every one of these horses, every time they race, they're going to learn something new and, you know, they're going to move forward until they finally, you know, get to that plateau where they've peaked. And what most people hope for as they're training is they hope for peaking for a three-race period during May and June, and that's the Triple Crown. Um, Todd Pletcher, you know, old school uh, trainers would never, never think to have this lightly of a raced horse in the Kentucky Derby. But because of the grind of the Kentucky Derby, the breeding on horses, they keep getting faster and faster, and that takes its toll on these animals. I mean, if you've ever been close to a horse, these are like 1,000, 1,200-pound animals. It's an amazing Their legs animal. are skinny. To, to, to balance that kind of weight in the concussion of, you know, a 1,000-pound animal landing on those, you know, tiny hoofs, injuries are so prevalent 
and you know you got to protect these animals and a lot of trainers have backed off on the prep races to try to get these horses to peak doing the triple crown and todd fletcher is one of them i'll make one other note on this horse and i, I really like the way they're bringing this horse into this race as well as this horse is racing uh, and it's coming off its best race of its career and its last start. Todd Pletcher's making an equipment change on this horse for Saturday. They're adding uh, the equipment called blinkers. What blinkers are, it's a hood that they put on the horse, uh, like a mask, and it has uh, two eyepieces cut out. But on the eyepieces, they attach what are little cups, and it'll let the horse only see what's in front of him. He won't see what's to the side of him, but he'll hear it because the, the hood has open ears, so he'll be able to hear. We use blinkers all the time in, in harness racing as well, and generally speaking, when we put blinkers on a horse that was not wearing blinkers, it's done to get the horse's attention. Uh, you want the horse to focus, and generally speaking, that means you're going to have the horse forwardly placed in the race. You're going to get the horse out of the gate and move forward, which tells me they're going to send this horse out of the gate. His race, or her racing style, I should say, is that of a stalker, is going to be in that second plateau, fourth, fifth, or sixth. And other than her being a filly, this horse has, you know, the works, workouts were sharp, uh, 11 uh, on April 11th, four furlongs in uh, 47 and two. Come back on April 17th, five furlongs in 101, and then April 24th uh, came back five furlongs in a minute and a fifth. This horse is razor sharp right now and is peaking at the right time. Uh, you got to use this horse in your uh, exotics, and the exotics are definitely exactas and trifectas. Uh, use it on your tickets, and I'm not saying this horse cannot win this race. Uh, if she if she was a boy, this horse would be one of the favorites for sure. Okay, so before we talk about what, and we'll wrap it up with what you think a uh, a novice better. Uh, might or, or should do perhaps what might be the best strategy for a novice better heading into this derby any other brief little notes that you can share about any other specific horses without giving away too much we've touched upon uh, pretty much all of the horses that i think are strong contenders okay one horse that um, uh, the next horse that i would say that has uh, some uh, definite possibilities uh, is a horse called awesome act and Awesome Act is a horse that's also coming into this race, uh, training quite well. Um, this horse began its career at two over in England and actually was a grass horse first and uh, had, uh, you know, some good efforts on the grass, uh, but they decided to ship this horse um, over this year to start the three-year-old campaign, um, you know, in the United States at Aqueduct. Uh, won the Gotham, a grade three stakes, and then finished third in uh, the Wood Memorial. Uh, was a well-beaten third in the uh, Wood Memorial to the horse that would have been the favorite in the Derby had it not been injured. Um, this is a horse that has a license to improve. You know, third start, uh, you know, of the season. Uh, that's where you'll see the biggest jump on a horse is from second to third start. 
so this is another horse that you know it's double digits he's currently 10 to 1 i think will go off a little bit higher than that a long shot possibility which will give us a segue of how the average guy should bet the kentucky derby never in any other race do i ever advocate betting two horses for a win because when you do that you know one of your tickets is an automatic loser because uh, only one horse can win unless you end up with a, an, an unlikely dead heat. But in the Derby, because there is so much value, uh, I do think there is. This is the one race that you can bet two horses, and you will get inflated win place and show pools. Um, so if what I do is I take my best horse, whatever that may be, and that is my horse that I'm making my serious wager on win place and show. Then I will take what I feel is my best long shot horse. Um, and again, this is going to be a horse that's going to be a decent price. And I will bet half a unit win, place, and show on my long shot horse. Those are how I attack the race from uh, win, place, and show standpoint. Then we move on into the exotics. And the exotics are betting exactas for the novice, and exacta is picking the horses that finish first and second. A trifecta is picking the horses that finish first, second, and third. And then if you want the mother load, that's the trifecta, or the super trifecta. And the superfecta is picking the first four horses, one, two, three, four. Obviously, just like betting in sports, like betting a two- or three-team parlay, four-team parlay, the more horses that you have to pick correctly, the bigger the payday is going to be if you get it. But also, it is that much harder to hit. But betting syndicates will invest more money on Kentucky Derby Day just because of the inflated betting pools. Okay, so for, then, so to recap then, for the novice better then, um, we are, you would recommend betting two horses, your your f- sort of favorite-ish horse, the one that you like the best, win, place, or show, do, you know, your biggest betting, and then for your favorite long shot pick, half of that bet, if you will, also win, place, or show. That would be your recommendation. That would be my recommendation to the novice out there, and then if you want to take the, you know, into the next level and bet exactas, you would take your two key horses that you, you bet win, place, and show, and combinations you can do what is called boxes where you can pick uh, three horses four horses box them and then any order that comes first or second as long as it's one of those horses in that group if you box three horses you know two of those three got to finish first or second for you to hit the exacta you could do a one dollar three horse box for six dollars, okay, and you can also do that uh, for the trifectas as well. You can box three horses or four horses. Obviously, the more horses you add to the combination, the more it costs you. And what about these? Ticket. What about these folks, uh, Marco? You know, their books offer just you know the bet to win it. You know, the straight to win bet. Um, you can you can do that. Most places will give you win, place, and show, and, and I highly suggest that you bet win place and show uh, a lot of horse bettors only bet to win but again in the derby there's so much money in the betting pools that you get 
inflated place and show prices. Um, and when you bet to show, you know, your horse can finish first, second, or third, and you're going to collect that show bet. So, you know, it is a protection bet as well. Uh, your horse can, you know, if you bet a horse win place and show and he finishes second, you lose the win bet, but you cash, you know, the other two tickets, place and show, you still make money. Um, especially with the inflated pool. So it, it's a safer bet for the novice. Okay, and your show with VR will be available when? It will be up late tonight. We are taping today, so we'll have to edit and uh, get everything online. But it'll be up uh, you know, late tonight and run right through the uh, Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Okay, and we're talking Thursday today is when we are recording this podcast. So Thursday night should be up if you're listening to this after that. It should be available to you. Marco D'Angelo. Marco, again, congratulations on the uh, exchanging of wedding vows to you and yours. Thank you very much. And uh, I really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy man today, so really appreciate you stopping by. But I think we covered it pretty well for the Derby. Thank you, Marco. Really appreciate it. Okay, Gil. Thank you. Gil Alexander, betting dork. Kentucky Derby preview. We'll talk to you tomorrow.